You ready to rock up? Yo, 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 and welcome back to another episode of the Nick and Griff Show. Today is Saturday. We are back on a Saturday. It is June 4th at 8.57 a.m. Griff, how's your week been, man? It's a grinder as always, Nick, but I think maybe I know Bitcoin is really seeping into the minds of the world. Um, that's mm. what I see throughout the week. What about you? How was your week? Man, it was super quick. Uh, had Monday off for Memorial Day and uh, had yesterday off just because I took off. So I had a quick Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this week. And uh, it was nice. It was nice. I got to you know sleep in a little bit yesterday and then went and had a good back day at the gym with my boy that's back home from the Navy for a little bit. And uh, yeah, excited to have a uh, a free Saturday here to probably hang out at the pool once we finish up here. So yeah, it should I'm be currently good on like a makeshift. I don't even know what I would call it for myself. I'm not super proud of where I'm at, but me and my friends are like losing weight together, I guess per se, or working out together. Okay. And okay. <clears throat> I mean, I'm at about, I'm a little under where I was at at, at Albany. I'm like two in the two fifty range, not quite as big mm-hmm. as I was at Albany. I'd like to just get down to like two twenty. But, man, that stuff's so much more difficult when, like, I guess being an athlete isn't the most important thing in your life. Like, it's it's not easy. Like, I've been making fun of people for a long time. I feel like an asshole. But uh, it's not easy to, like, work out and then have a diet and then stay strict on the diet. And then I have a fiancé that wants to go out to eat. And it's like, okay, we're going out to eat. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to care too much about my diet. I'll just work out. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I keep telling myself. But I'm like, but my workouts, like the intensity of them are not quite the same as a college football workout, you know? So it's just been like, it's been a battle. It's been a slow, a slow grind down, but fortunately, it's a really, it's a big shift in perspective whenever it's not your job anymore. Right. Your job is not to be like an athlete, you know, job is not to be in shape whatsoever. Now I will say, in sales, I think it helps to not be like, you know, a sloppy looking fella. You know what I'm saying? For like, sure. I don't, that, I don't think that helps per se. Nobody now, wants to do yeah. to the sloppy, sloppy guy. yeah, anybody listening to this that's a little overweight, what have you, there is no Nick and Griff Show workout program. But if you request one, Nick can get one to you because he's still in shape. He is the skinniest <laughs> man alive. The skinniest, Nick might be, Nick might have the lowest body fat percentage of any Bitcoiner I know. That we Nick, we could really like turn that into something. You know what I'm saying? Nick, the skinniest no. Bitcoiner in the world. No, <laughs> dude, you are. I'm telling you, Nick. I don't think you're ever gonna have a day where you're like you look in the mirror and you're like, man, so disappointed. I've just really let myself go. Like Nick, <laughs> and that's it. You're like, not wrong. Man. I do. I do look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, damn, dude. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you need to keep doing it. My goodness. Are we getting into this market check? All right, all right. We can get into the market check. Here's the market check, everybody. Uh, (laughs) Buy Bitcoin. That's the market check. Just buy Bitcoin. Um, Let's check this out here. Do we see any good stories that we want to talk about? Um, Hmm. I have a quick ad. I don't know who Sheryl Sandberg is, but she did something. No, Uh, I have a quick ad for you, Nick. You know Bitcoin market dominance has reached uh, an all-time high in the crypto space. Ooh, Uh, by what metric? 
I believe it's at 46%. So just like of total market cap of crypto, Bitcoin is at its uh, all time, oh, like literally okay. all time high outside, I think, of like the early, early years of it, um, which there's been so much talk on Twitter recently. Like even Peter, you know, Peter McCormick, you know who that is? Um, I, I, I'm, the, I'm familiar with the name, but I'm not sure exactly who he is. He's a, he hosts the second biggest Bitcoin podcast, uh, in the, in the whole space. Like literally like he has a huge pot, like as big as pomp. Um, but yeah. Peter McCormick was like, he was saying something and not, and I wouldn't say in defense of altcoins or what have you, but kind of just saying that Bitcoin, like the, like, I guess the all nature importance of Bitcoin and like where we can go, uh, there's still like short-term consequences of price being like price falling and things of that nature. And sure. some of these altcoins can help in the short term. And I'm just like, and he did say like, I can't remember which one he like outright defended, but he kind of outright defended one of the altcoins, which is pretty shocking. Um, I don't know, man. Like, cause you know, we're not, we're like Bitcoin. I would say like you and I are like hybrid Bitcoin maximalists. Like we're not really, uh, we don't come after anybody. We like, you know, Breedlove got attacked pretty good for saying that he believes in the free market this week. He said, uh, I, I, I don't want to, I'm just paraphrasing here, but Breedlove did say he was like, you know, I don't, I don't really like the Bitcoin maximalist culture. I don't really like how, uh, people get attacked for saying things like what I'm about to say. And then he went on to say, it's a free market. If you want to buy like Shiba coin or whatever, what have you, and you get wrecked, it's free market, like do what you want to do. And a lot of people kind of got upset with him because he was just kind of saying, it's a free market, you know, like if there there's scammers out there, don't buy what the scammers are selling. And a lot of people were getting frustrated because they're like, dude, you should be outright like, you know, telling people their scams, like telling them which ones are scams. And I just don't mm. think that's like, I don't think that's your job, like as an investor, as a person to tell other people, hey, that's a scam. Like, bro, eventually people are going to figure out a lot of these crypto projects or Web3 or Metaverse or what have you, they are scams. They're Most of them are outright securities fraud, Ponzi schemes. I mean, by definition, things that a free market doesn't really like allow or won't really survive in a free market. And Bitcoin's market dominance went up. So all this talk about shit coins, free love talking about free market, people getting upset. It's price went down, I guess, for the day, or who really cares? But uh, its dominance went up, and I think, like, over the 10-year is what really matters. Bitcoin is, like, the only fully decentralized. Nobody owns it. It's, like, the people's money. Uh, it's the only one that's actually, like, doing it. And in 10 years, I think that's going to prove to be pretty valuable. But uh, we do have another guest today. We do correct? have another guest. We we do have a guest uh, for for the listeners here. Before we exit the market check here, the uh, Bitcoin price is twenty nine thousand five hundred and seventy two dollars, and the S and P five hundred is sitting at forty one hundred and eight dollars. Also, if you notice down here, crude oil up near an all time high. I'm not a hundred percent sure because this chart doesn't go out too far. I haven't really dug too much into it, but oil a barrel of oil is hitting a hundred and twenty dollars right here. Um, we also just here in Tulsa just hit four dollars, uh, four dollars and twenty nine cents is what I paid the other day for gas. So um, we are getting up. Bro. 
door know hurts yeah. me the most right now. Bel Air, it's our local grocery store. Pack of yeah. party chicken wings. Now, listen, I'm not an organic fella. Okay, I don't really care if this is <laughs> organic on like the package. Like, who really cares? But these organic party wings are much better in the air fryer than your Walmart brand. They just crisp up better, what have you. And dude, like a year ago, I was saying like six dollars for a package of these things was like kind of egregious. I was like, I don't know if I want to pay six. They're wing, like I don't really care. Um, they're eleven dollars. Like they've literally gone up a hundred percent and I bought them and the quality of them was far worse. There was less of them in the package. Like everything that we learned about when we first started getting into Bitcoin about like the different types of inflation that they put on you. Like we talk about inflation so broadly, but people don't understand like, like there are inflation schemes within this whole inflationary mess. One being shrinkflation. That's what you're referring to. For example, yeah, exactly. Like they literally just started putting less wings in there. They changed like the weight of all of them. And then the price goes up. And then you're kind of just like, what? Like you're kind of just like, well, dude, there's less chips in my bag. You don't really know what to do. It's all happening in real time. As always, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. We know that to be Thanks true about Bitcoin. We know that that is not true about the dollar, but continue to buy Bitcoin and you'll be happy in a couple of years. I promise you that. Griff, as you mentioned earlier, we do have another guest this week. You know, we've talked a ton about Bitcoin. We've talked a ton about finances and economics and all these types of fun things, but, but something that we haven't really hit on a whole lot in depth and in detail, probably because we don't know a ton about it. Uh, maybe just the basics and stuff. But taxes, man, taxes are important. Um, you know, I think uh, you and I have had several colorful conversations about government and their role, what it should and should not be, right? And that's a whole other conversation. Um, I think, though, if you do find value in living in this society because of the rules and regulations that we follow, then we've got to pay our fair share, right? But how do we do that efficiently and effectively? Um, that's, that's best for all of us, uh, that's best for the government. Uh, how do we do that? What are the rules and, and regulations of the game? Because if ultimately, if we don't know the rules and regulations of the game, how can we really play the game to its full potential? So that being said, I'm excited to bring on our next guest for this episode, Michael Lair. Michael, good morning. We are happy to have you here. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Good morning. I'm happy to be here, guys. Good deal. How was your week? It was good. It was good. Memorial Day, so short week. Can't complain. So weather's kind of picking up after a cold snap here in Tulsa a couple weeks ago. But so I know good. it's nice. It's nice out there right now. Um, mm. I'm excited to get out in the sun here in a little bit once we hop off of here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you guys at just kind of got out. At what point in Tulsa? Oh, you go, Griff. You go, Griff. Say that next. No, I was just going to ask at what point in the uh, Tulsa weather sphere do you guys go out and start tanning? Like, what was it like 70, 70 degrees plus? You guys are like, all right, it's time to get out there. You know what I'm saying? Because here in California, I feel like a lot. I've talked about this on the show before. It's sunny and perfect all the time, which sucks. Like, I have to say that out loud. Like, I don't really like it. Like, I don't think anybody, anybody likes that, but it's like seven o'clock. It's like 80 degrees, sunny perfect day you're like why am i inside all the time that's how you feel but 
unless it's like 90 or like 95, 100, nobody really goes out and just tans. I think it's pretty nuts. Like it'll be 80 degrees. And I'm like, all right, like full party, like whatever. Cause I'm a Midwest, you know, guy. It's like 80 degrees is great. What is the uh, break even point in Tulsa for you guys to get out there and just like sun it up for an entire day? 60, 65, 75? Like, does it get Michael? What's there? your thought here? I, my, I think 80 is the cutoff. Okay. 70s perfect weather to be outside doing something active. Like, I love you know, like going on a run or you know, playing rec sports or something like 70 and sunny because it's just perfect. But it's still a little bit chilly. If we're, if we're talking purely tanning, then <laughs> 70s a little cold. I'm, I'm thinking 80s and yeah. above. Is, it's about. Above yeah, you don't, you don't want to sit outside in the shade and drink a cold beer when it's 70 degrees. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fucking cold. All right. I just had to ask. Um, Michael, I know you guys just got, got finished up with probably the busiest time of the year. Um, mm-hmm. I got to imagine you're getting caught up on some things that have been maybe pushed off the back burner during that time. So what, what's, uh, what is that busiest time of the year like for you? And what's it like trying to catch up after the fact? Yeah. So, yeah. So probably about the first of February to April 15th is definitely the biggest, busiest time of the year. So, um, it's just, it's, it's nonstop. It's seven days a week, almost 10 hours a day. So you're working anywhere from 50, 60, 70 hours a week, depending on what the needs are. So, um, but it's, it's not too bad because then you have a lot of dead time after that. So it picks up sure. after extension time. So around September, October is when it gets busy again. But um, because it is such a cyclical industry and, you know, hours worked, um, generally the month of May is pretty a slow month because um, everything that's extended is already extended six months. So there's nothing that needs to get done. So um, May, yeah. May, is, May is a big vacation time for a lot of uh, tax accountants. So, um, June, June, we're kind of getting back into it, getting caught up now. So, sure. Well, I know that, you know, you don't just, uh, you don't just get to handle people's taxes just for free and for fun. You got to mm-hmm. do a lot of things that put you in a position to do that. Can you speak a little bit to some of your experiences? I know we were talking pre-show about where you started, how you've gotten to where you're at today and what it is that you're doing today. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, can I have a little background on myself is so I, I actually started out not in uh, the CPA accounting world. Um, I actually graduated from OU um, University of Oklahoma and I actually started out doing petroleum engineering. So uh, did that for about four years, had an internship the last two years of it. And I don't, I don't know what it was, but on the, the last, last day of that internship, I was sitting there thinking like, I don't want to do this. This is not fun. Getting oil out of the ground is not something I'm passionate about. <laughs> so, but I am passionate about money. And so I, I took kind of all the core business classes, you know, finance, accounting, uh, marketing, kind of in that space, the business sector and found out accounting was kind of where my niche was. So um, finished up at OU kind of, and then I met my wife, my final, well, she was my wife at the time, but uh, I met her my final year at OU and she came up to Tulsa. So we're both from the Oklahoma city area. She came up to Tulsa um, to go to grad school. So I follow her up here and that's kind of where my accounting business venture started. So um, to even add more of a level of fold to it is uh, whenever I got into accounting, I was like, I will never do tax. There's nothing about tax that excites me. And here I am today. But so I started out as kind of you know, a small business, uh, back office accountant, bookkeeper kind of thing. 
Um, that worked out. Kind of got a good feel for small business owners, and kind of I think that's what kind of sparked my interest of being able to help small business owners. Um, then I moved on to uh, BOK, um, Bank of Oklahoma. Um, it's a big national bank, but headquartered here in Tulsa. Started out kind of just doing some basic accounting work there. Um, then after that, I, I I got the itch to get into public accounting, so I took a, a tax public accounting job, um, and that's where I kind of fell in love. So I, I started out here at a, a local firm here in Tulsa, um, who was pretty, um, they're pretty strategic. They're pretty ahead of the market when it comes to public accounting. Uh, public accounting can be pretty traditional. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, your old, old sole proprietors where they're kind of the, just a lone CPA. Um, they can be very traditional. And, but with the tax world, I think this is where I kind of fell in love with it. Taxes, everyone sees taxes black and white, but it's not. Um, Taxes law, just like lawyers debate in the courtroom. So tax law is the same way. So if you can interpret something that may be beneficial for your client, you know, as long as you're not being egregious or, or overstepping bounds, um, there's opportunity there. And that's why there's tax court cases that we can um, lean and fall back on. Um, and so, yeah, so I just I started this love of being able to help small business owners because as a small business owner, you're you're tax is going to be the biggest expense you probably have in your entire career. Um, same thing as individuals. I mean, um, if you get, you know, a high income earner, 40% of it is gone and that's just on the federal side. So um, being yeah. able to really hold back to keep more dollars in small business owners pockets, I think does more for the economy than just giving it to the government. So. Hmm. How many years have you been in accounting taxes total now? Let's see. So I finished up at OU in 20. 14, so about eight years now, eight years now. Beautiful. So it's not, not, a, not a whole lot of experience, but I have the amount of time and devotion and, and passion I have in it is probably about twofold that. So um, I may not have 20 plus years of experience, but I can promise you I've put in the time and effort to, to know as much as a 20 plus year vet of the CPA. So Beautiful. Well, that, that leads me into a question, we, and we kind of talked about this as we were getting prepped for the show, um, ta- taxes for crypto. You know, I mean, we'll, we'll say crypto just for the umbrella term to include everything. Um, I got to imagine you, you do. I mean, how often do you run into questions about crypto as far as taxes? All the time. Well, it, it's such a new aspect of tax. Um, I mean, I know crypto has been around for a little bit now, but really probably only in the last five to maybe even 10 years is it really exploded on the forefront. Um, yeah. And so along with that, the, the, the IRS and, and the U.S. tax code did not have to treat it either. So um, over yeah. the last you know, about 10 years, the IRS has been kind of trying to pass laws and regulations to get it under control. Um, when I say get it under control, um, it's not so much of the tax aspect, but with anything money related, there's a lot of money laundering and, and criminal activity that can take place. And I think that's the first and foremost uh, thing that the U.S. government is trying to control. Um, I think along with that is a tax aspect. Um, but yeah, so so crypto is is something that it, almost every single day there's a new person getting into it. Um, I know it's a little bit more attractive and a little bit more uh, prevalent within you know the younger generations of our society, but Every single day, I find older clients that are finding their way into it. Um, and so with that, there, there comes tax questions and tax treatment questions. And 
and what do they need to do to keep track of you know whatever crypto that they're invested in things like that so it, it's pretty much an everyday occurrence you know we were we were talking at one point with man i can't remember who it was griff but we had talked about this idea that at some point in the near future you don't have to own bitcoin to have exposure to bitcoin because all the largest companies are going to own bitcoin on their balance sheet meaning you're going to have an indirect correlation with bitcoin at some point or another right yeah absolutely yeah, I feel like it's uh, uh, at some point that's just kind of the game theory of it, right? I mean, these big companies, whether you look at it from the store value or medium exchange aspect, and I'm not sure how it's going to work with these big companies, uh, obviously tax-wise, because I think the U.S. government is showing they don't like Bitcoin. I mean, like, look at New York State. New York State does usually set the precedent for the entire country, right? And they're literally trying to ban computers doing code. I mean, literally, like they're trying to they are literally trying to ban computers doing math and using energy, per se, to like do that said math. That is like one. I'm pretty sure it seems rather unconstitutional, but clearly they don't like it. All right. So like it's going to be interesting to see how the U.S. government plays that, because obviously um, other countries around the world are, are kind of waking up to this petrodollar scheme they've been running for the last 50 years or so and they don't like it because it doesn't help them whatsoever like they're getting bamboozled so i don't know it's going to be interesting to see how big companies in america to like bring it back to that point how they're going to adopt it because bitcoin as a medium of exchange right like when strike gets a lot of this stuff up and running i mean it is a literal math i mean it's a math question they get percentages like they don't have to pay the visa they don't have to pay the mastercard they don't have to pay it to anybody it's just their money instantly they don't have to pay banks it's like a, you know what I'm saying? Like, those are things I would assume that help these big companies, right? Would be reasons why they'd adopt it. I don't know. This is their overhead cost. Yeah. yeah. Like, so I don't know how that's going to play uh, into the tax side of it because when it comes to tax law, Michael, is it like, uh, is it who sets the precedent there? Is it always federal first and then states come in? Or does state law matter more than federal law? Because I know Arizona is also like already made Bitcoin legal tender, I believe. Um, I know California is trying to make Bitcoin legal tender. At least it's like up for debate. But then you obviously have states like New York that are doing what they're doing. And then there's the federal government. So like who sets the precedent in this space for like what's going to happen? Yeah. So there, there's kind of two levels of, of tax law, if you will. Um there, there's your federal tax law and there's your state tax law. Um, a lot of times if states don't have a difference or a preference or a set precedent or, or law in place, um, it generally just follows federal. Um, and so right now federal has crypto listed as property. Um, I'm not sure. Nothing that I've seen has said that, uh, that a state has adopted uh, crypto as a legal tender yet. But I do know that there are multiple states that are, like you mentioned, progressively trying to find ways to make it more attractive. Uh, I, I think there are some states that are more progressive that um, see this as crypto is not going away. So why not attract it? Why not gain tax dollars for themselves by being attractive to other being crypto investors? So, um, but yeah, so so from a tax precedent, um, mo most. Ta state taxes, if there's not a separate tax law stated 
they just follow the precedent of the federal government, federal tax code. So you just mentioned property, um, mm-hmm. and I had, I had seen that just kind of browsing around a little bit. Um, so it's not it's not deemed a, a commodity. It's not deemed a security or, or a currency right now. It's deemed a property. Um, mm-hmm. What what exactly does property mean in tax laws terms? So I know that semantics, right, is a huge thing when it comes to this language, yes. terminology. So what does yeah. property actually mean? So so property is really just kind of a very generic term. Um, almost anything could be considered property outside of you know legal tender. Um, it's it's drilling into what type of property after it's been described as property is where things matter. Um, so with currently the way the, the property that Bitcoin is labeled, um, when it comes to kind of some of your, your public company reporting, the standards there, um, the accounting reporting standards there, um, they label it as an intangible asset. So an intangible asset is still property, uh, but it's labeled as an intangible asset. That said, um, whenever it comes to property, a lot of times you think of, you know, real property or something physical and tangible, this is definitely not that. Um, but that also begs to the question of depreciable assets and amortizationable assets. And so that's a whole other kind of level with that. Um, so that's when you have to dive deeper into the tax codes there of what's allowed to be depreciated or amortized. And the way it's kind of written, um, a lot of times it's it's used in a trader business. So when you think of uh, depreciable assets for a business, you're thinking of something that used to generate income, not necessarily in an investing way, but um, you have a vehicle um, that provides services that's going to generate income for you. So that's something you would think of in, in that sense. Um, when you mm-hmm. think of something intangible, you think of um, like if you acquired another company and acquired their customer list, um, that's kind of a, 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 a finite asset. Um, the way Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general is kind of, it, it's this, it's an infinite asset. There's no real definitive end of when, when this life is going to end of this, of this asset. Um, and okay. so that's where things get kind of a little, little tricky, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, with the way tax code is, it's kind of, it, go, it goes property is kind of the overall blanket and then it's diving down into what kind of property it is. Okay. Very right. So it is literally looked at as that right now, like, like some form of property and it's, what does longevity have to really do with it? Like they base these things off of how long the market's been in play. Like Bitcoin's been technically around for 13, 14 years like that. How does that truly factor into it? Does that factor into like the literal the life of an asset? Yeah, like why does that why does that matter so much to? So, so when it comes to depreciation and amortization, so the way that works is so, so when you when you're running a business, um, if you have an everyday occurrence and expense, you expense it. So you have money goes out, you use that to pay for something. That's an expense. Um, on the opposite end, there is let's say you buy a vehicle. Well, you don't use up the vehicle in one turn. You have a life of a vehicle. Um, and so with that, there is all of these um, U.S. tax codes that regulate the lives of certain assets. So you look at vehicles, you look at you know, equipment, um, you look at anything that you can think of. 
um, you know, houses, real property, commercial buildings, things like that all have um, kind of a standard depreciation life of what would be the anticipated, you know, use of this certain item. And so amortizationable assets are a little bit different because they're not quite as black and white. Um, a lot of times amortizational assets are, are amortized. So essentially you pay for like a customer list and you expect this customer list to be valid for the next 10 years. So you would amortize it over 10 years. Um, you buy, um, I had some other notes here of, of kind of what an amortization asset, like goodwill within a company. Um, that's kind of a, a more difficult thing to describe, but um, yeah. So it's just, it, it, the life thing is, is more of trying to determine what's the useful life of something with cryptocurrency. So, <laughs> so, so with oh, cryptocurrency, um, there's not really a life to it. It's kind of an infinite life. Um, there is no, you know, defined timeline of when it would be used, but along with that, the cryptocurrency has been classified and doesn't fall under the classifications of depreciation or amortization of being able to, you know, reduce yeah. the value of it. So, so Griff, kind of to add on to that, uh, Tyler and I were talking um, a couple months ago, I think, and he had he had been reading an accounting book, and I guess the largest instance of I don't know if the term was fraud or, um, like maybe it was maybe maybe it was just tax fraud, but was exactly what you're talking about, Michael, where, you know, let's say somebody buys a truck for, you know, 30 grand that they're going to use for their business to move equipment around or whatever. Um, if there's no standard as to the life of that asset, well, then, you know, maybe we depreciate that $30,000 purchase over 30 years. Well, then we only have to pay or then we can depreciate that over that 30 year period when we know that we're going to have it paid off in, in much shorter amount of time. It's mm -hmm. basically evading taxes, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so that's why the, those standards of the asset life are put in place so that everybody, when they buy a truck, they know that the useful life of that truck is X amount of years. Or, you know, I, I think or I think uh, residential real estate, right? You can depreciate over 30 years or 27 years. Residential real estate, I think 27 and a half. 27 and a half, okay. Yeah. So, that's, so that's deemed as the standard useful life of of that residential asset. Yeah. Which is anyways, yeah. uh, Griff, what were you yeah, real property is a little tricky uh, because it's, it's something that you can depreciate, but it truly, you know, gains value over time. So it's real estate is a very tricky thing. Um, I think the reason why they, they, they allow you to depreciate it is because you are going to have upkeep. with it. It's something that you're going to have to pour money into to keep its value. That's, that's a very fair point. Um, I had read something, this is a little off topic, people who make $250,000 on average, I'd like, I, I don't know what the actual statistic was, but it was like the majority of people making 250k in America are still living paycheck to paycheck right now. Like, I find that to be pretty nuts. But back to the tax point of it, Bitcoin, it's not property then. I mean, like, that doesn't really seem like it's ever really going to fit in that bubble because at the, I mean, just knowing how Bitcoin works from my side of things, it's like, it's not, I mean, the property thing is kind of like, it's, I like, I like that narrative. Like, I think it works. I think that there is use for Bitcoin in that way, potentially as digital property. But at the same time, uh, 
kind of screw that. Like, I also feel like the nuclear family is being attacked pretty heavily in America. So I feel like that whole Bitcoin narrative is own your digital property, like digital property, live in the meta, blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's literally just another way for them to be like, you're never going to own a home. So like own Bitcoin, you know what I'm saying? No, I'd rather own, I would rather own a home than Bitcoin. Like I'm just putting it out there. I would rather own a hundred homes than Bitcoin. Maybe not a hundred, just depends on my lifestyle, right? But Bitcoin doesn't fit into property like at all. Like Bitcoin is not, I mean, it's not, it's not actually, it, it is digitally, but what is digital property? Mm, and that's... how, what, what's its useful life infinite? I mean, like Bitcoin really like, it is your grandchildren's grandchildren's money. Like that's really what the play is here. I mean, the play is so that your great, great, great grandchildren have 10 million Satoshis and you're just like, kind of like, boom, bitch. Like they have all the money. You know what I'm saying? Like that's like inevitably Bitcoin is such a long-term play. It even plays into your, like, I do buy some of my Bitcoin full and well knowing like the price of it could hang around under a hundred thousand for a long, 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 long time. I'm just being honest. Like there's a lot of regulation. Like we're talking about with taxes. There's a lot of things to sort out. Is it property? Is it currency? Is it um, trying to think of other ways like uh, miners? Like, could you speak on some of how, like, how are they going to tax miners? Like all of their equipment Mm -hmm. is depreciable, depreciable against this thing that they're mining that you're also saying is, potentially depreciable like it's a very interesting very interesting market and so like that's what i'm saying like bitcoin is a long play people who are buying it for the short term i mean like don't get me wrong like i'm 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 to the moon just like everybody else right but like this conversation alone is why i'm kind of just a little skeptical about how quickly bitcoin can shoot up like is it property is it currency if it's currency does that mean like if they like rule tax wise it's a currency can't, they can't tax currency, right? Like they can't just tax a, a legal tender per se. Like that doesn't work, does it? Well, so so yeah. So kind of just kind of address everything that you kind of mentioned. So I, I I understand that it's yeah, crypto in my mind really is more of a currency than a property. But as for the yeah. way it's ruled by the IRS right now, it it is property. That's what the IRS use it as. It abuse. I'm not saying like a commodity, as in like gold. Um, but you might as well think of it as gold. It's it it is just something that you can exchange for currency. Um, that said, to kind of mention, it, there are actually two countries in the world that have uh, recognized uh, Bitcoin as currency. Uh, one was relatively recently, but I think El Salvador was the first one to recognize cryptocurrency. The South know, African Republic or the Central African Republic. Was yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, and so. Um, but yeah, so to kind of talk about the, the mining aspect of it is you've got to think of it from a tax perspective, and that's where my mind goes with kind of figuring out how this gets treated, um, as, is it's taxed the same as property. So if I was in, in business and someone gave me a truck in a form of payment as opposed to giving me cash, that is still the fair market value of that property is what I have to recognize as income. So it's yeah. the same thing with kind of um, Bitcoin is if you got paid in Bitcoin for, for services or your, your business, you recognize it as income as the fair market value of that, that property. Um, so when we think about miners, um, one kind of interesting note is there are a lot of States 
So New York, like I said, is unfavorable for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, but there are a lot of states that are trying to be pro-cryptocurrency. Um, and Texas is actually one of the bigger ones. And recently, to, to talk about mining, as of, I think it was April, the end of April, Fort Worth announced that they are actually going to begin mining Bitcoin, or I came up as Bitcoin, which is all cryptocurrency, in City Hall. And so um, that's going to be kind of interesting to see that. So, okay. Okay, so yeah, so a bill was introduced to uh, make Bitcoin legal tender in Arizona. So yeah, so Arizona, yeah. but um, as for right now, um, there's all the states, as far as I'm aware of, unless there's something relatively very recent, all the states are treating cryptocurrency and, and Bitcoin um, uh, the same as federal right now. So um, actually kind of to, go, to answer your original question about miners, so if you're mining Bitcoin, um, so back in 2014, the IRS released IRS notice, I think it's 2014-21, uh, that kind of gave, it was the biggest news about crypto from the, the IRS and the U.S. government that kind of gave a big, some details of how the IRS is going to treat it. And so one of those is, I, I think they mentioned uh, mining in that. Um, if you were mining Bitcoin and you receive Bitcoin, whatever the fair market value of that Bitcoin you receive, you would have to recognize as income. So it, 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 whether it's personal or whether it's um, business, if you are in the business of mining, then that kind of adds a whole other fold of like said, your, your equipment, your, your whatever things you purchase to, to mine, you can depreciate that because you will have to replace that over time. It, it will break it all down. Um, and then as you mine it and bring income in, that is that is ordinary business, trading business income. Um, yep. But if you're without mining, it's a whole kind of another different property because then it's more of a like an investment, if you will. So when you purchase Bitcoin, that's your basis. When you sell it, that is what you sold it for. The difference is gain or loss. Yeah. I do have a little, I guess, an interesting spinoff here. So how familiar are you a Bitcoin hodler yourself are you into the space or are uh, not so yes i mean I, I do own bitcoin um i do not I, I use it through exchanges not necessarily through um uh my yes, own yes, yes, man exchanges yeah. exchanges huh yeah. but uh because because for me i mean my, my life is busy i got two small kids you know work is um you know constant so I just wanted to dabble in the space, so I think I have, I'm trying to think of I've got it in a few different exchanges, but I think Coinbase is where I have most of my my crypto held. Um, but so. to not jump you on that to talk about to talk about some other stuff because obviously there's other <laughs> crypto like in the space. Well, listen, I, I I the whole exchange thing I think is so wild. Um, mm-hmm. Like you guys know, like Coinbase put in their new terms of conditions, like they do not have the requisite Bitcoin to fill. Like if they if there was a Bitcoin run on Coinbase, they would not be able to fill it. Like they wouldn't even be able to come close. Same with Robinhood, same with pretty much even Binance, like had to say the same thing, their new terms of use. But this is not this is not a, a cold storage attack. Okay. This is uh there are <laughs> other altcoins, right? There's Ethereum, there's Solana, there's uh Tether, and there's these things called pre-mines, right? Like these people essentially like Ethereum, all Ethereum is, is like the 2008 uh, housing crash happening so much faster than whatever it took uh, America. I don't know how many years it took us to get to that point where we were like, just like 
as soon as you pulled that little house of cards, it just kind of all fell down. You know what I'm saying? Ethereum is that, but it's literally a bunch of different little like altcoins and like ETH tokens that basically a little group of people get together, little developers, they kind of give each other a vast majority of these tokens and then they give some to celebrities and they say, well, promote, promote this as it's got you to, it's going to take down Netflix. I'm telling you this token space is going to destroy uh, Facebook and Netflix is the next greatest thing. But in reality, they're literally just sharing all of these, the shares in this company with their friends. And then people buy in price goes up. And then the entire time they're slowly pulling away. How do taxes look at cryptos that pre-mine and do things of that nature? Is that, is that pretty clear cut fraud? Is that not allowed? Is that securities fraud? Is that not really like, does that take it out of the same tax lane as Bitcoin at all per se? Like, does it make it different if they're doing so, things like that? So, so to make sure I understand, when, you, when you're talking about free money, you're talking about like essentially almost like someone creating a coin token or something. You can right? you can create them in 10 minutes. They create it in, they literally create the token. I mean, you can make them like, you can make them like hotcakes. Like you can just yeah. start these things out like pancakes and a Sunday church event. You know what I'm saying? But, <laughs> Yeah, so so currently, because like it isn't classified as currency, there is no securities or anything related to to control or or regulate crypto right now. Um, That's why it's kind of considered kind of the wild, wild west of of investing. Um, And along with that, when it comes to from a a tax perspective, um, just kind of bring it back to there, um, it's it's all... it's all related to essentially your, your gain or loss within something. So if you go in and, and create your own coin token, whatever you want to call it, would, whatever it cost you to create it would be your basis. If it didn't cost you anything to create it, you have zero basis. So now you go sell it to someone for $100. You have zero basis, sold for 100 You have a gain of $100. So that's kind of what that would look like. So um, as long as it's property, it's pretty much – uh, kind of a fair, like you're saying, it is a wild. I mean, it's absolutely a wild west. If it's yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's, way. yeah, it's no different than you know, you know, trading baseball cards. I mean, you can create yeah. your own baseball cards if you want to and pass them off as fraud. You know, okay. sell it to your neighbor or someone on the internet. Um, yeah. But at the end, it's a buyer beware kind of thing, and which is kind of scary to think about because, um, like you said, there there's a lot of these out there that a lot of coins out there that are. There's no investor Someone that's maybe technical and smart trying to get a uh, get rich quick scheme. Yeah, Michael, could you hit on uh, on short term and long term capital gains as as Bitcoin is treated as a subset of property? Yeah, yeah. So essentially, the when it comes to tax treatment with short term and long term gains, so short term is anything that was held for less than twelve. Um, so if, if you buy something and you were the owner of it for six months and then you sell it, well, you didn't own it for a full 12 months. That's a short term gain. If you buy something and then a year and one day later you sell it, you held it for more than 12 months. It, it's long term. The reason why that matters is from a tax perspective. When it comes, when just, just for owning something, it doesn't really matter. But from a tax perspective, it does because there's different levels of tax treatment for long term and short term gains. Um, when it comes to to tax from a federal perspective, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of talk from a federal perspective because every state is kind of different, and we can touch on some of those state questions later if you guys want to talk about that. Uh, but from a federal perspective, 
the the time value of money is important. So that's the reason why they they give you a tax preferential treatment for long term gains. So you've parked yeah. money for over twelve months. You know, inflation happens, whatever you want to call it, the market change, at the time value of money, you need to be rewarded for investing in a company, investing in a startup, investing in something. Um, now that's why you get a tax preferential treatment for long-term capital gains. So that's why with, with crypto um, and, and Bitcoin, it's it's important to kind of know your holding period for, for each coin or each portion of a coin. Because um, we'll, we can probably get into that later too, because there's there's so many different ways to buy and sell it and 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 change your treatment you know do some you know tax loss harvesting or things like that there's just a lot of things that you can do with that so i know that for the vast majority of conversations that we have um we're we're buyers and holders of bitcoin Mm -hmm. we're not planning on selling anytime soon um but if that time does come or when that time does come, and if there are still capital gains taxes that have to be paid on the sale and realized gain of, of Bitcoin, um, you mentioned a second ago, I think it leads us right into tax loss harvesting. So, uh, you know, it's great with exchanges. You can see, okay, I bought a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin. Here's my cost basis. Here's how many Satoshis or how much Bitcoin I bought. Um, And I know that there's, First in, first out, last in, first out. And then there's also selective, mm-hmm. um, correct? And could you speak to that a little bit on how how you may be able to use tax loss harvesting strategically to sell yeah. specific and selective portions of Bitcoin? Yep. So, so I'll kind of compare. I'll, I'll talk a little about just kind of ordinary you know, trading on the stock exchange. So trading, you know, company stock. I'll kind of talk about that first because it kind of leads into it. So. Okay. From from stock perspective, you can also do these, you know, first in, first out, you know, last in, first out, um, and selective. But most exchanges, unless you keep a detailed track, which most people are not personally buying stock and selling stock, they're using, you know, a Fidelity, Robinhood, uh, you know, Charles Schwab, whatever you want to do. Um, that's what they're using to to buy company stock, to buy your Facebook stock, Amazon stock, whatever you want to call it. Um, the default for, for the, the IRS to tell these, you know, brokerage firms or, or exchanges is first in, first out. So if you buy something, you know, at $100 in January and you buy it again at $50 in June and then you sell again, um, you know, in December, it's going to sell that January piece first. The biggest thing, so you, can, you do the same thing with cryptocurrency, but with cryptocurrency, it's, it's less regulated. And doesn't say because it is property and not necessarily stock. Um, you can kind of keep track of, of your units or coins or tokens a little bit better to be able to do tax preferential things as opposed to just defaulting to FIFO. The biggest difference, and to touch on the tax loss harvesting, the biggest difference between stock and crypto is the wash sale rules. So the wash sale rules is something um, in stock that. Let's say you buy something at $100, it drops to $50. You then sell it. Well, now you have a $50 loss. Now, if it drops even lower, let's say to $20 within 30 days, you're like, well, I know it's going to go up from there. And you buy in at $20 um, within 30 days of selling. That wash sale rule knocks out your $50 loss. So essentially, if you buy and sell the same stock within 30 days, any losses you had when you originally sold that, when you first sold it, get thrown out the window. 
And so that's why a lot of people will lose that benefit. And you'll see, and I, I we've seen this a lot recently with a lot, you know, with Robin Hood, you know, a few years ago, um, really trying to get to the average, you know, everyday retail trader. Um, a lot of people didn't understand these washables. A lot of people got burnt from a tax perspective on it. With crypto, because it's considered property and not listed on um, the stock exchange, it doesn't have those rules. So one of the things that you can look at, um, and so, so let's just think of Bitcoin. I'll use Bitcoin as an example. So let's say you buy, you know, one Bitcoin for thirty thousand dollars. You know, six months later it drops to twenty thousand. So you have a ten thousand dollar loss right there. If you wanted to use that loss to offset other income in that current year or other gains in that year. You could essentially sell that Bitcoin at twenty thousand, and then immediately buy it five minutes later for twenty thousand again. What you've done is you created a realized loss. So you're still holding Bitcoin the same as you did before, but what you did is you created a tax loss there. So now you have ten thousand dollars of a loss to offset either other gains or other types of income. The only thing, the, the caveat to that though is, it's not necessarily you're just gaining tax advantage; you're deferring tax in the future. Because let's say, you know, a year from now, it jumps up to 50000 Well, if you would have kept it at 30000 that's a gain of 20000 But now your new basis is twenty because you recognize that loss. Your gain is 30000 in the future. Sure. And so it's one of those. It's, it's, it's maximizing your, your tax in any given year, looking at your scenario that year as opposed to what it's going to look like in the future to be able to you know, use these non-wash sale rules to, to tax loss harvest. Which is why people want to work with people like you that know what you're doing, that are seeing the ins and outs, that are doing it all day, every day, right? Yep, yep, exactly. So consult your, uh, your CPA advisor. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, another piece that I was thinking about here um, as we were getting prepped up and thinking about some of these things is um, – the necessary or maybe non-existent responsibility to report the ownership of property. Um, is there any, is there any mechanism that we have to follow as far as reporting the ownership of our Bitcoin to the IRS? Um, I don't, I don't really know the right question to ask in regard to that, but can you hit on that for a second? Yes. Yeah, so, so recently, I think as of November, uh, are you familiar with the infrastructure bill that uh, Biden signed last last November? So, so snuck in. Yeah. So there, there's a bill signed that was more for a bunch of other things, but within that bill, um, they added some cryptocurrency reporting standards. So, to address, I think your first question is: Is there any reporting requirement for just owning Bitcoin? Is that I think that's your first question. Um, yep. So right now, there, there is no reporting requirement for saying that you own Bitcoin. That said, there is. Um, are you guys familiar with any the uh, foreign financial bank account reporting? So I have, I have a little bit about that. Yeah. yeah. So essentially, if you own an interest or have an signing authority or have a bank account within another country, um, you essentially have to report that to the U.S. government on your tax return each year. Um, it's yeah. part of the financial crimes unit. Um, so there was some things put out there, um, guidance from the IRS that talked about, well, if you have, if you own cryptocurrency on a foreign exchange, um, so let's say you're trading Bitcoin on an exchange in, in Europe somewhere. Well, now they're saying, well, that's treated as kind of like a bank account. That said, so then there became back and forth between the AICPA and the government. Well, 
if you're saying that, so is crypto now currency then? Because that's what that reporting is for, is for currency, not property. And so there's been yep. a back and forth. And so currently as it stands, you do not have to report, you know, foreign held exchange currency, but it's rather be safe than sorry. So some people, so a lot of CPAs are advising, let's just go ahead and do it. If you own Bitcoin on, you know, a foreign exchange, um, but currently, as it's saying, you do not have to. Um, so as for when it comes to just reporting of holding currency, there's no real reporting requirement with the IRS. That said, there are now reporting requirements within that bill I just mentioned um, that you do have to report transactions. And so the way it was written is, um, let me pull up my notes real quick, um, is exchanges. So we talked about, like I said, your, your Coinbase or things like that, that you're not necessarily holding your own within your own wallet on a flash drive, if you will. Um, anything that you're it's held on an exchange, any exchange there, there is now reporting requirements for Robinhood, for Coinbase to report any exchanges of cryptocurrency like they would report stock. And so that's where a lot of these, it's it's to the, the twofold of the, the Obviously, the one that the, the government tries to push is it's to help prevent criminal activity, but really it's to help prevent tax evasion. Um, and so yeah. that, that's where those things are important. So if you exchange cryptocurrency on a non-exchange platform, which I'm not super well-versed to be able to, to talk on that, but I'm sure you guys can, um, that's where you say you don't have any reporting, but you still have to recognize that as as income or loss um if there's any gain or loss associated with that um it's one of those there may not be any tax reporting done um so it's kind of that at your own discretion to make sure you report it griff i think you're gonna say something there you are muted though oh no no this is just such like an educational experience for me <laughs> you know what i'm saying so it's just it's so interesting how I mean, seriously, how a commodity on the internet that doesn't have a CEO, that doesn't have a CEO, like there's nothing, right? There's no company. It's literally as comparable. A bunch of code running on computers all over the world. Yeah, like, and it's just so interesting to see how it's taxed, right? And my whole thing is Bitcoin really is like a fix the money, you fix the world kind of thing. Like, that's how I look at it. Uh, I don't really like, I, I do love the investment of Bitcoin, like the mark, like as me and Nick talk about like the network of it, but I don't really think about Bitcoin in these tax terms. So everything that he's saying, I'm just learning obviously, because there's other people that are only looking at Bitcoin as like a get rich quick scheme. And they're kind of legislating and making these rules like it, like based on that. And I do find it so interesting how often in your experience, Michael, did they put, like a Bitcoin uh, reporting law or a like a tax law in a Biden infrastructure bill, like in in like they kind of like slip things in there very often. Like are those things that you always have to like keep an eye out for? Uh, yes. So, so, or, yeah. Yeah. So so there there are yeah tax law is ever changing. Um, so great job security, but uh, yeah no tax law is ever changing, and you do have to monitor pretty much every bill. Um, that said, there are um, publishers and companies out there that that's what they specifically do. So you, you, I am not necessarily going through and reading every single bill. I am getting the download from um, these these information outlets. Um, but yeah, so there are constant. I mean, there are bills that are purely just tax bills, and there are bills that 
Um, I mean, we talked about the infrastructure bill. That that is the infrastructure bill was essentially raising taxes to improve infrastructure within the U.S. So it really was a tax bill, um, but it doesn't. You hear infrastructure bill, and you don't immediately think this is a tax bill. Um, and so there are a lot of things that uh, that they'll I don't want to call it slip in, um, but just kind of add to it from a tax perspective. So yeah, so by the infrastructure bill, there was a lot of things they talked about. You know you know, taxing unrealized gains on the super wealthy, um, you know, taxing um, corporate tax differently. Um, lots of the things possibly, there was a lot of things that were discussed, you know, back and forth and what they decided on. Um, but with that, it's, is cryptocurrency exchange reporting. Like why was that necessarily need to be thrown in there? It didn't necessarily have to, it didn't have anything to do with the tax perspective, but um, it, it is a tax bill. So they're, they're going to add some tax reporting things with it. So yeah, it, it's cryptocurrency is just it's such a different animal than anything the the, the world has kind of had to deal with. Because um, for I mean, since forever, currency has been currency. There's been no alt currency, if you will. Um, right. and, you know, it's currency yeah. or, um, or or it's not. And now there's this thing that half the world treats as currency. The other half treats it as property. The other half treats it as an investment. So it's just it's such it's a unique vehicle that it is. Um, sure. That's really hard to kind of the governments of the world to to put their head around it and, and find a a unified way to treat it. So it is Bitcoin is I I like to say it's just pissing off a lot of people because we've been in like you're saying uh, there might be a lot of like taxes change every year, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I don't really, whether that depends on the president or whoever's in there, whoever they're trying to please that year or whatever, you know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, Bitcoin is like the, it is the supreme audit to that whole thing. I mean, so I don't think anybody really wants it to happen. I mean, we've been on the swift banking system for how long? And it's like, it's Mm -hmm. not like it's great. We've been using fiat currency for how long? It doesn't mean that it's like the end. I thought, do you find it weird that we like literally just sit like money is just supposed to be this thing like it's dollars uh, and inflation and the government controls it and like that's all it is? Like, do you find that odd? I mean, I know you're not a Bitcoin guy, but like I've, I, that's what got me into the space is I just found it so odd that we, what do you mean we can't make money better? Like, yeah, sure we can. Like, why would we not be able to make money better? Like, money should get better over time. It shouldn't get worse over time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, like, there is an inflation tax incentive. Like, do we all just get to write off all this inflation this year? And, like, the government, like, how, like, you know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> how I look at it, I'm like, okay, there's tax breaks for freaking everything. And then, like, we're all just, like, kind of playing this game. But what about inflation? There's no, like, inflation tax break. And we're all kind of getting hit with that. Is that mm. kind of the, is that what will break it off? I don't know, but I, I don't know what it's going to be that gets people to kind of come around to some of this stuff. Like, I don't know what you think, Nick, but it's just so weird. Like hearing all these tax things. Cause we get on here and we talk about the great fantasy world that we want to live in and how great Bitcoin is, but there is this very real side to it, right? Which really is in the trenches and what you're doing, which is the tax law of it. Uh, that's severely uh, either inhibits or helps the innovation of any new technology, I would say, right? Like, is there anything in the last 10, 15 years you've had to deal with that is at all similar to Bitcoin and crypto, like in terms of like 
I don't know, like literally creating new tax laws and like just changing the whole game kind of thing? Like, is there any, been anything similar to this in your experience? Or is this really, like you're saying, just a beast of its own? Not, not in my lifetime that I've been aware of. Um, I mean, there's always, as the world becomes more global um, and information is shared more, it's shared easier, is more, shared more easy, shared easier. Um, there's a lot of things that are, are, are evolving. Um, but as for something as unique as cryptocurrency, I, I have not seen or experienced anything like this in my lifetime. Um, I mean, there's always been assets or property, something a little bit more tangible um, that, you know, certain people would value as currency, but nothing as, as blatant as cryptocurrency. Um, and so, yeah, so it's just, it's such a unique thing. Um, and yeah, it's, and kind of comparing it to regular currency. I mean, you mentioned a lot of good points. It's just, I don't, I think when people think of currency and, and more specifically when countries think of currency, they obviously are putting themselves first. Um, so they want to do what's in best, best interest for them um, when it comes to their own currency. But just like, um, I, don't, I can't remember, you know, how long ago, whenever we, moved off of you know, the gold-backed uh, to, to the U.S. currency where it's just there's nothing backing it now. There's just a lot of things that... Hmm? I said 1971. Gotcha. So, so there, there's a lot of things that, that I, I don't think any country is ready just to accept this new form of currency, even though it must be a, maybe a better currency mm-hmm. because there's no incentive for them. There, there's nothing really incentivizing them to make the switch because the U.S. government can't just keep printing dollars now. They can't just keep printing bitcoins if, as they need it. So it, it, it just yeah. it, cryptocurrency holds the the owner and and real real debt and real dollars. I guess it's the place that kind of say yeah yeah hold them accountable. And right now that's not in the best interest of any government because. Everyone should be asking. Yeah, yeah. Well, the United States uh, are almost. Sorry, I was going to say Griff mentioned uh, inflation earlier, and we were kind of he was kind of chatting about that a little bit. What is your thought on that, Michael? As far as the, uh, I mean, this is the the major issue of of easy money. If you think about easy money and hard money, this is the major issue of easy money is just being able to print it with no cost of creation. Um, and, mm. and this, the, the effects of it are what we're dealing with right now. I mean, it's $4 and 29 cents for a gallon of gas here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. What is your thought mm. on that stuff, Michael? I mean, yeah, inflation is killing everyone right now. Um, it, it's, and in my opinion, I, I don't see it slowing down or stopping. Um, in, in my personal opinion, I, I have nothing really to, to say why I believe this or not. I mean, I, I wouldn't say like I've done a deep dive research, but, I mean, just with the way that the economy is with, you know, the housing market, the the vehicle market, inflation in general, I, I don't really see it slowing down or, or crashing, um, in my personal opinion. Um, I just, yeah. I think just it is the way it is. It, I was thinking about this the other day, too, whenever uh, we talked about tax breaks and um, I was thinking about this the other day of, of, you know, what's the major reason for all this inflation? Well, obviously, you know, COVID had a big hit, economy's bouncing back, makes a little bit of sense. But I look back at all of the, the tax incentives that were given out because of COVID. We talk about PPP loans, we talk about all of these tax credits. 
I mean, all of these were essentially free dollars given. And we, they gave out millions and billions of, of these free dollars. What yeah. I think it's done is the people that had access to these funds are doing great right now. But I don't think those dollars initially trickled down to the everyday American. And that's why I think everyday Americans are getting hit really hard with inflation while, you know, half of the economy is doing great too. So it's, it's just, it's, it's just a weird time, a weird time. And anytime you're giving a tax break so large or so big like that, or you're putting out a, such a fat, I mean, like, cause I work in medical sales. So obviously mm-hmm. hospitals have had, a very large and I wouldn't say very good incentive over the last two years, but mm-hmm. they got to make money. I mean, business is business. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I have not learned enough about economics to go like, how do you place such a large tax incentive into what we try to say is somewhat of a free market capitalism, whatever, like how do you place something so large in there and then know what the consequences are going to be? On top of money printing, like I just tax incentives to me, like I I get it, right? Like it is more expensive for a government to go purchase a bunch of homes and have a bunch of low income people live in them than somebody to provide rent for somebody and just buy the homes. So I get the incentives program aspect of it. But like, how does that actually just affect the money you're using within that incentives program? It's something that like I, I still like don't, I've never really heard anybody talk about it because I don't really think that's like built into any of these economic theories that we have because would you say like in America, I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that. Would you say like, is America the most robust tax incentive program in the world? Like from government to businesses, to people, like do we offer the most tax incentives compared to other countries? Do we offer less tax incentives? Is just, just different than other places. I would say just, just different. Um, I mean, I'm sure you guys are familiar with offshore bank accounts um, or, you know, companies moving to different countries. Because yeah. there are different incentives. So right. the U.S. is the tax incentives here are more, you know, what you're doing. You can get tax breaks for how you're employing people, exactly what you're doing. Where other countries are just low tax states, or low, stat, low tax countries. So, mm-hmm. um, so as I mean, I wouldn't say, yeah, America is not necessarily a high tax country. There's definitely, you know, other countries that are much higher tax. Um, but there's also a bunch of countries that are much lower tax, too. So it's, it's kind of different. Um but as for like the incentives, just kind of talk a little bit more on that. So, a lot in the past and years past, those incentives have have gone through you know economic models. So there are reasons why there's R and D tax credits. There are reasons why that there's you know low income housing credits. There's a reason why that there is uh, um, I can't think of one of them, but just incentivize employees why you would want to hire them because those have been proven that you give tax breaks here, you give money there, it, it kind of bounces out. As for with just the, the how quickly PPP loans and you know employee retention tax credits and all of these COVID money incentives were written, passed, and distributed. I mean, there was no time to really see what those future consequences would look like. The economy was just hurting so bad because of COVID that they needed something to keep it afloat. So I think we're all just kind of dealing with those repercussions right now without really knowing what's going to happen. Who who's coming up with the models or, and, or do you get like, what models like are, is there like websites? Are there people who post these models? Like, are uh, is that just something you've seen? I just would love to like read those models myself because. Yeah. So when it comes to like, any, any tax laws that have been passed in the past or have been passed in the past, um, 
there are they run models through it, and that's how they get it passed through Congress. So um, you, you could probably Google them and, and find some of them. Um, I'm sure people have ran models on the PPP loan stuff, but I mean, let, let's be honest, it, it was so fast. It was so fast. I mean, it got introduced, it got passed, and then distributed all within like a month. So um, yeah, and so yeah. So as for a specific. Um, you know, citing source or something. You know, I don't say know anything off the top of my head, but I'm sure you could you could do a Google search. Yeah, no. All good. I just we definitely in America, Nick. You you can speak on this too because you study it just as much as I do. We've been on a Keynesian economic model, economic model for I, I want to say like a good chunk of time now, like at least 50 years, maybe even longer than that. I guess it would be time to. I I think it's time with gas in California, guys. If four dollars. I would kill for $4. Kill for it. It'd be amazing. <laughs> I was in Tahoe yesterday, man, because, you know, like I work, so I cover Sacramento to Reno and Tahoe's like right in the middle of it. And it's like, great. I love going to Tahoe. I was stuck, man. I was stuck there and I had to get gas to get home. It is what it is. Tahoe was like $7. Like that's all you could get it for. And then I come to Sacramento and I go, well, like, what's it going to be here? 630 is like what my Chevron produces. Shell's like a little lower than that. And then like the cheapest I can get is about 599 right now. But I don't know what like economic model supports anything like and where we're where we're all sitting, right? Because it's like I think anybody can very clearly tell that unless you're really, really wealthy, like and I mean really wealthy, not just like doing well for yourself. I mean like really doing well for yourself. This inflation is hitting you hard. Like, I mean, it's just not nobody's enjoying it. Uh, I'm certainly not enjoying it. Like I'm a young guy working my ass off, trying to make a lot of money uh, while I have all this energy because I'm not going to have all this energy forever. Maybe I will. I don't know. But like uh, currently I have a lot of this energy and I just don't know what incentive or what they're going to do to get themselves out of this little hole. Um, How long have, uh, uh, I guess I'd say like have tax incentives always like have they always been so big in America? Like I, I feel like I need to go back and just study like the history of income tax because you know a lot of people talk about uh, like there's been times uh, in like war times in America where like income tax has been as high as like 90 percent. Mm-hmm. You know, like are we headed towards that kind of a time where they need to tax the hell out of us to get ourselves out of this hole as a country? Uh, well, no, they'll just think- print it. What do you mean? No, no, no. There's like real consideration right now for them to like increase taxes to to fix what's going on. I mean, the only way to get this money is to take it out of the middle class, as we know. I mean, that's you can't get it from the ultra wealthy people in this country. They can you can try all the do all day long, but you're not going to make any friends and you're not going to get it passed and they're not going to pay it. (laughs) Like like we're saying, like there's no way. So the only way to really get it back is to increase taxes on the middle class. I don't know if you studied like past times where, oh, the income tax is 90% on the ultra wealthy, like during, I want to say that maybe it was in the 80s or the last time it was that high, maybe it was the 70s. I think that was or the 40s and 50s. The middle class during those times. Do they just get taxed into oblivion, essentially? And like, we just kind of... Yeah, I mean, there. technically where we're at, where we are sitting at, I want to say, if it's not the lowest, it's it's getting very close to it. The, the lowest tax that there has ever been in the U.S., um, yeah. I mean, uh, Nick, you might be able to pull up the model, but I mean, over the years, you look at the kind of the highest tax bracket, 
I think it was in the eighties with Reagan that there were, he slashed tax, um, that capped the tax rate. Cause like you said, like, for the longest time, I mean, the highest tax bracket was, you know, 90%, 80% up there. Um, that, yeah. So, um, yeah, as, as for taxing it, I, there's no telling what the future holds. I mean, that, that's kind of some of the biggest thing I deal with some of my clients right now is some of the biggest things that people you hear about is you know, retirement accounts. Yeah. So, um, so you think of, you know, Roth IRAs or Roth 401ks versus traditional 401ks. So pretty much what you're doing with, with IRA accounts or retirement accounts, um, looking in the future is what's the tax going to be like in the future? Right. Is it better to for on a traditional retirement account where you take the tax deduction now, but 50 years from now you take it out and that, and you pay the tax then, or are you better paying the tax now because you feel like taxes are going to be higher in the future. And there's just, there's no real, not that I've seen to be able to really be able to tell one way or another um, what tax is going to be in the future. Um, yeah. I, I think the first thing that the, the government tries to do to battle inflation is, is mess with the Fed interest rate. And so I know they're already, they've been raising it and I don't see any time them slowing down from raising it. So um, yeah. it just kind of trickles down from there. I do. They can't keep raising it because they don't have the money to keep raising it. They don't like that. They, they are stuck. I mean, because back in what was it? 19, uh, 1980, the early 1980s, it was as high as 18 percent was the federal funds rate at one point in time because inflation was so bad. We can't do that now. We're like yeah. there is no like raising at 18 percent or else. What, what are what are all those countries going to do that have U.S. dollars sitting on their balance sheet? <laughs> and they're just like. This is what we hold. This is our gold. These shitty, shitty dollars. How much longer, I wonder, do like these small countries go? Not even small, just like or even our allies go like, yeah, like, I don't know what these American guys are doing. Like those 12 guys that run the Fed, like they must be drunk or something in there. Like, I don't know what they're doing. But like at some point, like these guys can't keep like trusting America's uh, basically this. Into, we're, we're describing a system, right? Like I know. Nobody likes, like, that's kind of like an annoying buzzword because, uh, quite honestly, like that whole BLM thing, like that happened during COVID, they totally jacked uh, systemic, like all those systemic issues that they wanted to talk about. When Nick and I talk about it, the systemic issues are that they made money shitty. It has nothing to do with like white and black or this, that, or the other thing. It's always been rich and poor. And it's just so frustrating because now, we're sitting here having, a, in my opinion, I'm learning a shit ton of this podcast, a very good little discussion. And we can't really like address what we're kind of saying. What we're saying is the system kind of sucks and we're just kind of playing within this broken system until what pops. Because I don't like, we can do all the tax incentives we want. But to me, it's, I don't know, you might agree with this. It's very similar to money printing. The moment you give like a very fat tax incentive that doesn't really like, go the way your model thought it would go that's it might even be worse than money printing like because then you're really making whatever you're using pretty fake like it's pretty just like it's just just numbers on a computer screen that's a certain point in time which is well from my you know i mean incentive structures incentive structures really are an interesting piece in all of this you know i mean what you incentivize, you want to make sure that that's something good for the vast majority, right? You want to make sure that it's something good for the future. Like, why would why would we incentivize people to smoke crack cocaine? 
we wouldn't do that because it's not good for people, right? So we don't incentivize that. We actually disincentivize it. Why do we incentivize uh, families? Because more families mean more stimulation in the economy. Why do we, why do we give tax incentives or tax cuts or tax credits, what, however you want to spin it? I, I don't know the correct terminology, but why do we give tax incentives to businesses? Because they stimulate the economy. It's not just like, oh, it's just free money. We just didn't know. It's no. like you're stimulating the economy, right? You're, you're a- adding something of value to the economy. Instead, the I, don't know, huge. I don't know the Michael's client list over here or anything, but as the tax expert, are there not rel- – this is a ter- like a, not a good term, but like are there relatively just stupid things that you got that you can get incentives for for your customers? Like are there like just like – regular like you just year over year you're like yeah we're getting this tax incentive i don't really know if this is helping the world per se but my client does the rule tax incentive yeah i, I mean know. like how many how many things are there like that my, my, my responsibility to my clients is um i am i am for them first i yeah. think i think you look at the cpa industry in the past um and that's where kind of the cpa industry is changing um, a lot of, a lot of the the population considered CPAs as like the gatekeeper between the IRS and themselves. So not necessarily the CPAs on their side; they're just you know making sure they're doing everything to be in rise of the government. But now there's a ever evolving, which is the you know, again the, the the access to information. Um, CPA industry is more evolving into you want to find a CPA that is pro pro you pro tax pro pro client. Um, it's you and your client versus the IRS is a way, a very, you know, hard, you know, black and white way to look at it. But really it's my responsibility when a client is to help them out. And that's where I, that's kind of go back to the very original of our conversation today. That's where I kind of gravitate towards entrepreneurial small business owners is um, I want to help them because I think they, they will help stimulate the economy and, and anything greater than just giving your tax dollars the government to do a lot of things that a lot of, you know, half of the population doesn't necessarily agree with because we're, you know, factored into, you know, two, two party system essentially. So, um, so yeah, so uh, to kind of go back to, to my record, so it's my responsibility to know all of those tax incentives or research them or be knowledgeable on them. As for whether I necessarily agree with some of them or not, I mean, that's a different story. Um, I, I can see the the approach and understanding and the theory behind all every tax incentive in my personal opinion do i think it's actually going to work or do what it's supposed to that's a different story so there's <laughs> one where I'm definitely like hey i i agree with this one more than i agree with that one but um so yeah so um sure. but yeah, my responsibility is to know a client know their situation as much as i can and and find those tax incentives for them why do you feel like over the course of like time you, you guys as accountants have become less uh, gatekeepers in a sense and more, like you're saying, client driven. What's the biggest reason for that? Just because it's more lucrative for you guys in your businesses or just like, a, I don't know. Like as, a, as, as the CPA kind of code to our clients is, is everyone thinks of, you know, some CPAs may charge, you know, whatever your refund is, I get 20%. Like that's technically against our code of conduct. Like we, we cannot do that. We, we charge, CPA put the charge on an hourly basis, you know, um, regardless of how much you get back or have to pay in, whatever that looks like. Uh, where I think this this shift has happened is the consumer, the client, has become more knowledgeable. 
Um, before knowing tax laws and tax information, you had to go to your library and look it up and, or, you know, false stuff. Like they didn't have access to information with the boom of the internet. You see an article every day about, Hey, have you heard about this tax instead of Astro CPA? And so now it's, it's become more on our shoulders of, Hey, my CPA is not doing that for me. Why not? And you come back. So it's, it's become more responsibility for us. And that's where it's, I think you see a lot of shifts in our industry too. Um, the CPA industry is, it's, it's kind of weird. It's, it reminds me of kind of the engineering industry. Um, you see a lot of very old CPAs that are close to retirement. And then you see a lot of really young CPAs. I don't think you see a lot in the middle. A lot of the older CPAs are, are much more of that old factor of, you know, I'm the expert. I know what I'm talking about. The client doesn't know what they're talking about. So they're, that's that gatekeeping. And the younger generation grew up trying to learn all these things. So they want to help their clients. So that's where I, I think, you know, access to information, internet, you know, tax knowledge being out there and eligible to the everyday person is what kind of created this shift. Michael, what are all the services that you guys provide to your clients? I know you've got a ton of different things. Uh, bookkeeping, yeah, yeah. And what are all yeah, those things? So, yeah. So the, the firm I work with, the RCM, we're going to we, uh, yeah, we, we are a full service um, CPA firm. So um, anything that you would need a CPA for, we do. So um, my specialty lies in the tax area. So um, when people think CPA, a lot of times they connect it with taxes, but CPAs do a very broad, you know, much more than just that. So I specialize in doing tax work for clients, tax consulting, tax strategy, tax prep, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then we also have an audit department. So, you know, bigger companies or banks that will require audits for companies for loans, things like that. Um, they may require an audit review, some type of assurance, um, assurance work. Um, and then we also do basic, you know, your bookkeeping accounting services, if you will. So uh, whether it's that, you know, a small business owner that just needs someone to do his bookkeeping because he doesn't have anyone house that can do it or, you know, accounting services when they just get anything that you need, you know, a, a fractional CFO type person that would, you know, come in once a month to kind of help um, or they need someone to help with their payroll, things like that. So it's just kind of your full service to be a firm. And if so, somebody here in Tulsa wants to get connected with you, how can they get connected with you? Yeah. So um, I mean, just Google Regeer Car in Monroe, Tulsa. Um, we actually do have three national offices. So we have one in Tulsa, one in Arizona, and one in Wichita. So we're in three different states. Um, but yeah, so if you just kind of Google a firm, um, you should be able to find a way to get in contact with me there. Yeah, I think uh, I think the easiest one is just RCM Tulsa. If you mm -hmm. Google RCM Tulsa, you guys pop up. So yeah. Um, yeah, RCM Tulsa, go check those guys out. I, I use, I use Michael personally. Um, he's helping us with our show and it's been a pleasure working with him. I mean, it's, uh, the communication's great. I love, I love uh, working with younger people. Cause like, instead of having to be so formal, like we can text back and forth on certain things, you know, some things you gotta be a little bit more formal with, I guess, but, um, it's been really good working with you, man. And we appreciate you coming on the show and sharing a lot with us about, uh, how, how crypto, and Bitcoin are treated as far as taxes go. So, man, we appreciate you hopping on with us. We'll def definitely have to have you on again at some point in the future. Oh, of course. No, I enjoy talking about it. It keeps me, keeps me fresh and making sure I'm up to date with my crypto knowledge. Too, so. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Crypto laws will ever be changing. So, yeah, next time that there's a, a big update or something, that, I'll definitely have to come back and, and update you guys and, and the listeners. Now, before Absolutely. you leave, I do have to ask one question. 
Yes, we're <laughs> talking about the internet, uh, basically, like kind of decentralizing the information aspect of what you do a, a little bit, very, I think a little bit right, because it is still a very time consuming thing to keep up oh. with a lot of these tax laws. So at the same time, yes and no, you know, people are smarter. But are you annoyed by the TikTokers? Like the TikTok tax consultants, because like, <laughs> listen, I, I'm going to tell everybody right now, I'm on TikTok like every every other week. Like I delete it once a week and then I get it back and then I delete it and then I get it back. <laughs> and I always get on the like the finance side of it. And man, like there's a lot of tax experts on TikTok. And now I know a lot of them are brokers, okay? But they say a lot of interesting things. Like does that, does it make your job also harder that there's a lot of that stuff out there too? Well, in my personal opinion, um, it doesn't make it harder. I, if my clients are being – if taxes on their forefront, I, I appreciate that. I, I like having more engaged clients than ones that don't know what they're talking about. Because the more engaged clients, sometimes it's like you don't always have a good tax answer. Like sometimes it just is what it is. Mm. And so sometimes whenever I have to break bad news, you know, hey, you owe government X amount of dollars – they take it out on me. And so the ones that are more knowledgeable, I can talk through the you know, explanation and they see it and they're not necessarily upset. I know it's a, you know, misdirected, you know, upsetting anger, but it is, but honestly, it's like my, my brother's the biggest person that he, he'll, he'll send me a TikTok or say, it's like, Hey, is this true? <laughs> I would find probably, they're about half true. Almost everyone I've seen is about half. True. There, there's, there's parts of it that yes, they're right. But then there's parts of it as, yes, technically you can do that, but it's not necessarily legal, <laughs> if you no, will. It's good marketing. So there's a lot of things that's like, yes, you can do that, but if you ever got audited and the IRS found out, they'd probably throw it out. Maybe not in the sense that you're going to get, you know, the book thrown at you and go in the slammer, but they're going to disallow it. Um, so there's just, there, it, it's about half true, half exaggeration. And so... For me, it's like if they bring it to my attention, I can explain that to them. And and because a lot of times, for me, I can't do a lot for a client if I don't know the whole story. And so sometimes there's something aspect of, of a client that they may qualify for some tax incentive or some tax break or something to that effect. But if I don't know their story or know that information, I'm not going to be able to. So if they see a TikTok, they're like, hey, I'm kind of relevant to that. They bring it to my attention and get, allows me to be you know, better for my client. So I don't hate it. My personal perspective, I'm sure there are people that do hate it. Um, but yeah, so it's, I just, the misinformation is what kills me. So as long as someone, you know, gets corrected, I'm great with it. Cool. Good deal. Well, Michael, uh, we appreciate you coming on. The senior tax strategist with Regeer, 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 Car and more commonly known as RCM. Uh, if you guys are wanting to connect with Michael, go go Google RCM Tulsa. They'll they'll pop up. They're a pretty widely known uh, firm here in Tulsa for sure, and I'm sure elsewhere in the country. So, Michael, we appreciate you coming on. It was a great time, brother. Of course, it was great great talking with you guys this morning. All righty, we'll see you. Have a good rest of your uh, weekend. Thanks. You too. Enjoy that birthday party. That uh, that four year old birthday party is it sounds like it's gonna be pretty fun. I don't know if we talked about that before the show started or after, but yeah, Michael's headed himself uh, or headed into some fun. He's got a four year old birthday party. Should be a good time. So, what'd you think, man? That was that was a very insightful. I mean, um, just to kind of go through some of those basics of it. I mean, I'm sure there's hours and hours more conversation we could have on it, but that was good. Just 
I think the biggest thing is just that like he very clearly is very good at his job. Do you know what I'm saying? And a lot yeah. of the time on podcasts, you know, the the notion guys, and it's cool, Nick. I'm glad you plugged him as well as you did because we do have some listeners now. We do appreciate you guys. We don't know if you stick around all the way to minute 90 per se, but <laughs> but we do have listeners. So it's good that you plug guys that are good at their job. And I think what we do that's interesting on our podcast is we're not really getting a lot of huge big name people. No disrespect to some of our guys. Have, we've had some people who do have some followers, but yep. just because somebody has followers doesn't mean that they're smarter or have more information or know more. The guys like Michael, I can almost promise you, know more than people who have 200,000 followers on TikTok and like we were just saying, spewing you some mostly uh, very offensive tax language on TikTok that just sounds good, but it's not really going to help you in the long run. So I think yeah. it's cool that we're offering people these really like interesting and intricate perspectives into it hasn't just been um, taxes. We've had uh, our guy Greg Mayfield came on and he was yeah. just talking about, I mean, he's just talking about industry. We've had yeah. Kyle come on who, to yeah. be honest with you, no disrespect to anybody, has been my favorite guest thus far because I still think Kyle is the smartest. Like, if you guys have not listened to that Kyle Jackson podcast, <laughs> listen, listen to it. He Number is, 26. He is legitimately one of the smartest people I think I've ever met in my life. <laughs> he, dude, he was just so smart. He just knew everything. Like, he literally knew things about everything. And I'm telling you, he has 30 followers, guys. So yeah. does it really matter about followers? Like, are the people in this world who know the most going to have the most followers? I'd almost guarantee you they don't. I, I think a lot of really intelligent and smart and hardworking and good people don't even really like social media anymore. They don't they don't view it the same way Nick and I are viewing it here. We're trying to spread good information, but there's a lot of people out there that are just trying to make a lot of money or you know get rich quick or grow the podcast fast or whatever. They're not doing it as organic as we're doing it here. So uh, just keep that in mind. But we appreciate our listeners. You know what I'm saying? And we do appreciate michael coming on because yeah dude that was like yeah like michael's, michael's a sharp guy yeah. I, i've known him for about two years or so now and uh whenever i'd initially met with him um i was working with inspire at the time and i was trying to find an accountant that i could use as a referral and so we had had an initial meeting and just kind of talked about what's your approach man how do you view taxes and i had a couple of those meetings with different accountants and a lot of them we're on the very conservative side. They wanted to pay everything that they thought they had to pay. And uh, if we get a big refund, we get a big refund. And that's just the most inefficient way to go about it. And everything that Michael and I had talked about now are several conversations and, and all the conversations that we've had up to this point um, about taxes, about finances, about investments, about money. Um, he's been very strategic in his thought process, and it, it's definitely aligned with mine. So I'm excited to, uh, to have guys on like that that are knowledgeable in their industry um, you know, I, I love what you said on the radio show the other day, last week or whenever it was, when uh, when you know they were asking, "Hey, would you go into Bitcoin full time?" And you were like, "Well, no, probably not. I want to bring Bitcoin to my industry, right?" Which is again referring to Brian Harrington that came on the show uh, several weeks back um, to talk about personal finance. I mean, that was a big deal for him was bringing Bitcoin to your industry, right? And that's so big time. And so, yeah, I'm definitely excited to have guys on like Michael that are knowledgeable in their industry, working to to bring Bitcoin into their industry as efficiently as possible. And if we get to plug some people and, and he, you know, gets to talk to a couple of people because he was on the show and somebody heard him, freaking cool, man. Sweet, sweet, you know. I 
I got one guy who's going to be talking to me. <laughs> I'm going to be talking to him. I'll tell you that much. I'm going to be asking all kinds <laughs> of questions. Now that I know he said he likes questions, he's going to get asked a few questions. It is what it is. Um, but yeah, anything else to add to the, the, the cast today, sir? Hmm, man, let's think. Uh, well, uh, at this point, at this point that the, the viewers and listeners are listening to this will be two weeks from now. We are now two weeks ahead on our filming. Today, I posted episode number 27 with Sean Lavery, uh, otherwise more commonly known on Twitter as at BTC Plebeian. Uh, posted that one today. I'm excited about that one. That one was fun to go back through and listen to, but yeah, man, I'm excited. I feel like we've got a lot of good momentum here with the podcast. I'm enjoying the content that we're producing. Um, I'm, I'm having a good time, you know, interacting with people on Twitter. We just filmed last week with another guy that we had met on Twitter. That one will be posted next week. Yeah, I think next week. Uh, man, I'm just having a good time, man. I'm happy to be here with you every Saturday, and I'm happy that we've got you know more and more listeners every single week. So um, we appreciate you guys listening. Come hit us on Twitter that way, uh, at Nick and Griff Show on Twitter. That is at NYC and spelled out A-N-D, Griff is G-R-I-F-F, show. Nick and Griff Show on Twitter. Come hit us up. If you want to be a guest, we'd love to have you on. Let's share perspectives and broaden our own as, as we go. So um we are uh, excited to post another episode today we're excited to post another episode next week and the week after that and the week after that and we appreciate Content's you guys stopping. listening we're we on a train fellas absolutely well you guys have a killer weekend and week and we will see you next time peace